And MLM Rebel is a new breed of network marketer, smarter, truly independent, and free. MLM Rebels wage war against the soul-sucking corporate world and against networkers who would rather preserve doctrine than helping people get results. MLM Rebels recognize when the world changes and changes with it. MLM Rebels don't believe in duplicating things that no longer work and would rather work without a safety net than within the confines of one. MLM Rebels are only involved in opportunities that give everyone an equal playing field instead of a top-heavy one. We don't care about the sacred cows of MLM, we don't care about the industry, and we do not care about the way it's always been done. We care about people following their gut. We care about people being able to quit their jobs now. We care about people being with their family instead of their boss every day. We care about people being with their family instead of their team all day. We care about people living free. We believe a truly free networker has multiple streams of income. We believe a truly free networker's creativity isn't shackled by their company's contract. We believe a truly free network marketer actually knows how to market and that they run their business like a real business. MLM Rebels prioritize faith, family, business, sacrifice sacred cows, build their own empires, never rebel against each other, and change the world. MLM Rebels know they are not confined by doctrine, not stifled by the past, and know they are one business away. My name is Zach Spear, and welcome to MLM Rebels. Hey, what's up everyone? Hopefully you're having an amazing day. I'm recording this as I am literally dealing with a a little bit of a stay-at-home lockdown in California. Pretty interesting. But anyway, I wanted to um, I wanted to introduce a friend of mine and just an amazing, amazing uh, guy to talk to you about how to protect your money. And not only protect your money, but grow your money in a very safe way. And I couldn't think of a more crazy timed episode than this. Um, you know, we just came out of a, a situation where, you know, the stock market just got murdered um, because of this whole, you know, virus thing. And, you know, when we recorded this episode together, um, we were we were definitely in the midst of that, that was happening, but it wasn't even at the level of where it's at now. And so, man, this couldn't be better timed. Um, if you are looking to make a lot of money someday, what do you do with your money? Um, even if you don't make a lot of money in your business, um, but you want to protect it well and grow it in a way that you control it and that's predictable, uh, man, this is such a powerful episode. Um, listen to every word that uh, Will talks about, and um, it is just absolutely invaluable information. Um, you know, I'm not saying this in any sort of bragging way at all. I'm just letting you know the power of this. Um, you know, before uh, I, you know, was working with Will, um, we had most of our uh, savings outside of our cash savings. We had our savings basically in a in a stock market account, um, you know, index fund type situation. Um, and I changed my strategy. Um, you know, uh, probably we started on this journey maybe a year ago. And I knew that I wanted more control over our finances and I wanted more protection uh, over our finances um, in legal fashion, uh, stock market fashion, all these different scenarios. I wanted this protection. And so we made a change and um, created a foundation or a base layer, as Will's going to talk about in this episode. And um, we haven't, uh, we definitely don't have the level of uh, holdings that Will has, um, but we actually didn't take any sort of hit in this, um, 
you know, this crash really that we've just kind of dealt with. And um, that's a direct result of, of what Will talks about here. So he is a brilliant guy, um, brilliant, brilliant dude. And um, couldn't be more excited to have him on. So if you're a top earner making a lot of money and you want to know what to do with it to protect it, um, Will's your guy. If you are looking to make a lot of money someday um, and want to know what to do with it, Will's your guy. Um, if you want a more secure place to put your money than uh, index fund or 401k or anything like that, Will's your guy to talk to. And, um, and I think this episode is going to be really, really valuable. So that being said, strap in. This is such an amazing episode for this time. We're probably going to do a follow-up one just because of this and uh, hopefully find this incredibly valuable. So with that, please let me welcome Mr. Will Street. Well, welcome back, everyone. Zach here, and I am super, super excited to spend some time with you guys here today. Um, I mentioned this coming up a few episodes ago, and I hope you've been uh, getting ready for it. So I've got uh, with me a guest on on the show named Will Street. And uh, so first of all, Will, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thank you, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I was... Um, I was mentioning this a few days ago to uh, to the listeners as this would be a, this is going to be a really exciting show for me personally and then hopefully for them and um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna you know have you kind of run through some things here in a second but for everyone listening right now I am extremely pumped for this um, a few days ago I mentioned that you know a lot of people that listen to the show you you included maybe you're here right now or maybe you're on your way to it um, there's a lot of successful people that listen to the show in the online marketing space and network marketing space. But one of the downfalls or drawbacks is, you know, what do you do with your money once you make it? Um, because there's just so many people that don't really know what to do either they've never been taught or um, I think that's usually the case. But um, anyway, Will is absolutely the, uh, the Oracle. <laughs> and um, I'm super excited to have I, you here, man. So I don't know if I've ever been referred to in that term before, but that's, I appreciate that. <laughs> For sure. But yeah, man, so I'd love to dive into some of the nitty gritty sure. here in a minute. Absolutely. But before we do, um, I would love to just maybe start off with, you know, your story, just kind of letting yeah. people know who you are. So you can start really wherever you'd like and just kind of take us up through where you're at today. Yeah, totally. So I uh, I work for an organization called uh, Paradigm Life, uh, which obviously we'll get get more into. Um, and I literally work with clients uh, all over the United States. You know, primarily financial you know financial services focused. Um, you know, implementing a number of different strategies that uh, that we walk people through and help them implement. But my background. Uh, maybe just to go back a little bit, um, it, it's really not in the financial space at all. Um, in fact, by training, I, I'm a lawyer. Uh, my background is in practicing law. And I kind of fell into what I do now uh, sort of by accident. Um, I, I you know, went to law school. I kind of you know, had these dreams of, uh, of practicing law and uh, you know, ended up uh, exactly where I wanted to be. So I went to you know, decent school, did decently well, um, ended up at a, at a, at a decent-sized firm. And uh, and was just enjoying you know the intellectual challenge of practicing law and um, and then you know the economic crisis kind of circled around and uh, and that was happening really in a lot of ways as I was finishing law school and just getting started practicing law and so from a just sort of a an observation standpoint right as I'm getting started. I, you know, I hadn't practiced long enough. I hadn't worked long enough to actually save anything meaningful. And so, you know, seeing the market do what the market was doing back there, 
uh, or back then didn't impact me as much as it was everybody else. And so I had this, I kind of call it a front row seat to, you know, what people were experiencing. I mean, literally there were colleagues, uh, you know, who had been practicing law for a number of years or even just employees of the firm who'd, who'd uh, been working for a number of years, planning to retire. And all of those plans were completely rearranged because of what was happening in the market. And so for me, that kind of became or created, I guess, for the first time, this sort of red flag of kind of feeling like if I went down that road, um, I was really giving up a lot of control and uh, you know, not having you know, day-to-day control over what was happening with the money that I was setting aside and saving and feeling like I was leaving to chance or just to luck, right? The, my ability to enjoy some future lifestyle. Um, Because for me, you know, I I was always kind of thinking, uh, you know, down the line, 10, 20, 30 years down the line thinking, okay, at what point do I want to, or, or, or what do I want my future life to look like? Well, I don't want to retire poor, um, I would like to retire as soon as I possibly can and enjoy a fantastic lifestyle, right? I don't, I don't want to have some inferior lifestyle when I choose to not work anymore. I want to get to the point where I can have the ability to step aside and work or not work whenever I want to. And I felt like, man, I was risking so much by just kind of leaving the chance, you know, that uh, that future savings ability. And so that that's really what kind of caused me to maybe question, wonder, you know, think that man, there's got to be some other, there's got to be other options, uh, 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 you know, out here besides just setting aside and saving and hoping that the market, you know, continues to deliver. And so just, you know, kind of over the course of, um, you know, just, I'm kind of a nerd uh, at heart, always reading something, you know, I love to learn. And so I really started to think completely outside of the box in terms of, um, okay, I've got you know my 401k, and I'm primarily in the market. Well, what else is there? What else exists outside of that that could give me the ability to um, you know acquire, accumulate, etc.? And probably the first book that I read that was impactful to me um, was a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, pre- pretty you know popular book. You know a lot of people have read that. That genuinely, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, that was the first time that I'd ever really come across this concept of passive income, um, which is kind of sad, you know, that, that, it, that passive income uh, isn't something that's taught uh, or mm. talked about more. Um, but I read that book and was really struck by it, this idea that, okay, wait a minute, um, what's my game plan for, you know, building up an asset base that actually pays me income and gives me the ability to say, well, uh, if, if I'm not working today, if I'm not going in and billing hours, if I'm not billing time, am I making any money? And the answer to that question was no. I was absolutely, my ability to generate income was completely tied to my time. I was selling my time for money. And I just felt like, man, that's a risky position to be in. Um, and then I came across another Kiyosaki book called Cashflow Quadrants. And that's really where he, uh, Robert Kiyosaki fleshes out that that idea of you know just the various quadrants that a person can be in, and I, I immediately uh, knew that I was man. I'm just an employee, you know. I, I'm I'm going to work for a paycheck, and if I stop going to work, there's no paycheck, and that's again, that's not a position that I want to be in. I want to be earning a paycheck whether I'm going to work or not. And so this this whole idea of passive income, cash flow, 
just absolutely, I could shake that thought um, and felt like, okay, I got to make some, uh, some changes in terms of, you know, how I'm going about this whole, you know, retirement savings thing. Um, because what I'm doing isn't putting me in a position to, to generate cash flow or to get any closer to this goal of being able to be quote unquote financially free, right? Choosing to work or not work. I'm going to be working for 30 years, you know, and then hope that I've saved enough to retire. I, I don't want to be in that spot. Um, and so that's really it, you know, fast forward a couple of years, you know, just focusing on, you know, the grind and practicing law and all of that. And, uh, and a good friend of mine who was a client, um, you know, about the same age as me, uh, you know, similar, you know, I would say, you know, income, family, that sort of thing. It, he, it seemed like this guy had it figured out, right? He, he kind of had his day job, but uh, he owned some real estate. Um, he was a silent partner of business. Uh, you know, he had all of these other, just these other, uh, just pools of, of opportunity that were working for him. And so finally I was like, man, how are you doing this? Because I don't feel like I'm doing it right. I feel like there's some things that I need to do but I, I feel like you're further along than I am because he, he's coming to me for uh, legal work, uh, you know, promissory notes, trust deeds, buy sell agreements, you know, and so on. And so um, I asked him finally, and he was like, okay, here's, here's uh, how I'm doing it. And this is kind of who I'm using to help uh, implement some of these strategies. And that was the first time I'd ever heard about uh, Paradigm Life, you know, the company that I work for now. So I became a client just went down the road as a client, no intention of leaving behind my uh, law career, leaving the firm. And then, uh, you know, much to my wife's dismay, um, I was six years in and it's, you know, partnership year, which is everything that you work for, you know, when you're practicing law is when you, be, you become a partner. Paradigm Life reached out to me and said, hey, would you have any interest in, uh, in coming over? Uh, you kind of fit what we look for, where you're just sort of the non-traditional you know, you've you know, applied and, and implemented a lot of the stuff that, that we encourage clients to implement. Would you have any interest in leaving your practice behind and basically coming and working with people like you and teaching them to do what you're doing? And, uh, and so obviously some soul searching, but made that move. Uh, and that's been about, that's uh, six years ago, almost to the day. Mm. So I've now been here uh, for as long as I practice law, which is a little crazy to think about. But, uh, but yeah, so that kind of a detailed, uh, but lawyers are, are not known for their brevity, nor are they known for uh, a lack of detail. So I gave it, I gave it to you all right there. So, uh, but anyway, that's, that's kind of what brought me here, man. It's, uh, it's been a crazy ride, but looking back, man, I, there's nowhere else that I'd rather be uh, because I feel like I get to do things that are valuable, that are exciting to me. I mean, I get the benefit of being able to say, hey, look, here's what I've done here's what I'm doing. Um, this is what, what I found to work. This is what I found that does not work. And I would never recommend to anybody else something that I have not actually explored myself. And so I feel like I'm just kind of this guide that gets to walk alongside, you know, other people and get to experience, you know, the, just this feeling of them being excited about the path that they're on. And so it's, it's pretty incredible. I, I love it. Mm. That's great, man. I, um, I can't help but wonder what was the conversation going on between you and your wife when you <laughs> were, were thinking yeah. about this? Oh. I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, that was not as stressful as the conversation that I had with my mother-in-law <laughs> right after that. 
So, and I, I say that kind of jokingly, but I'm actually dead serious. Uh, so, and, and I'll, I'll say it this way, not because, uh, you know, you, you obviously there are the stereotypes about the mother-in-law, you know, uh, out there where people, oh man, the mother-in-law, my, my mother-in-law is one of the, and I, uh, and I can say this knowing that she's not likely to listen to this podcast. And even then I'm still going to say this. She's one of the most incredible uh, people that I, that I know uh, other than my wife. Her opinion is the opinion that I value above anyone else's. And so, you know, out of respect for her, obviously, you know, in terms of talking through, you know, this pretty monumental change. Um, but then also just because I value her perspective, I knew that if there was something that I wasn't seeing, um, if there was an angle or something like that, that I just wasn't, you know, thinking through properly, she'd have the capacity to see it. And then she'd obviously be bold enough to tell me if she felt like I was making a mistake. And so literally we, you know, I sat her down and I didn't want to split it up into multiple conversations. And literally we sat down from, I think it was like seven o'clock in the evening until about three o'clock in the morning. And I explained to her piece by piece, bit by bit, everything that I've done or that I had done at that point uh, in terms of strategies and tools and, and things that I had uh, implemented. And, and then obviously explaining that that's exactly what I would be helping other people to do. And, you know, she had questions about, you know, the company and, and different things like that. But at the end of it, um, she just kind of nodded her head and just said, I think it sounds amazing. I think you should do it. And so for me, man, that vote of confidence was, was huge. So uh, and, and my wife, she is awesome. Uh, I mean, you talk about a true partnership, you know, every step of the way. Um, she just, you know, put a ton of trust in me and said, if you, you know, if it makes sense to me, um, I can see how passionate you are about it. And, you know, if you feel like this is a good move and you'll be happy, um, let's do it. So it, it's, uh, it's been awesome. So great. Wow. Especially to get that kind of buy-in and, um, yeah. And, and you do get the son-in-law of the, your award for sure. I mean, I know she won't listen to this, but. <laughs> well, the good news with that is I'm the only son-in-law. So I, I, I win that one every year. Oh, dude, that's great. Uh, so. <laughs> that's great. Snuff out the competition if there was any. Oh yeah. Um, well, yeah. So I'd love to, I'd love to dive into and into however you want to take us down the road um, yeah. of paradigm life, but essentially, you know, what is it that you actually do and how is it different from let's say you know let's say a 401k or let's say mm -hmm. um you know just going about real estate investing in a very traditional sense without uh, someone like you but yeah would you mind taking us down what the whole thing looks like absolutely yeah so uh yeah good good question so maybe the first the first thing that i'll uh, i'll mention is is to kind of draw a distinction so um, if you have a traditional financial planner, um, that's generally someone who, uh, and, and I'm not going to disparage uh, traditional financial planning or, or anything like that, um, but a traditional financial planner, um, they're, really their objective is what is known as money inner management, right? So in other words, if, uh, if, if I'm a traditional financial planner, I want to get as much of someone's money uh, and, and manage it actively myself as possible, because by so doing, I can charge a fee uh, in exchange for that service, right? And, and over the course of time, you know, you're continuing to give me more and more money under management. I'm, I'm you know, managing it, trade, you know, trading, getting you positioned in different ways. 
and you know we have these conversations about how your money is doing and, and that sort of thing. That's obviously a very passive approach where you know your involvement in that is other than giving me the money to manage is is pretty minimal, right? Uh, that's the absolute polar opposite of what I would say we do. So uh, our philosophy is is really built upon giving the client um, control, which means that if you know as you're setting aside uh, and you're saving, um, you need to be setting aside and saving into something that you yourself as an individual have control over and have access to. Um, and so uh, you know you know. Uh, draw a distinction with you know the market. This this particular week is a good example of how volatile and how unpredictable the market can be, right? Um, and so that's another philosophy that we have, where it's not about chasing a certain rate of return. Um, it's about putting you as the individual in control and arming you as the individual with some certainty and with some guarantee. And so what we're after, and the analogy that I like to use is, imagine that you're building a, a structure. Maybe, maybe it's a house, right? Imagine you're building a house. Well, obviously that build um, takes place over the course of you know, certain stages. There's certain stages of the build, right? Where initially the key is, you know, you're, maybe you're digging out you know, the foundation and then you're pouring that foundation. That's the first, sort of structural element of that, uh, of that house is that, that foundation, right? And then once the foundation is poured, um, then upon that foundation is everything else built, right? Your joists and your, you know, the house gets framed and then, you know, your roof goes on and all that, you know, step-by-step, piece-by-piece, element-by-element. Well, if we think about that same process, only we take that metaphor and we correlate it to the financial world our role, my role in the build out of your financial structure is to help you build the foundation. Okay. So what we want to use, if again, the, the assumption is that you're setting aside and you're saving a certain amount of capital, right? Whether that's $20,000 a year or 200,000 or $2 million a year, whatever the amount is, you're actively and pretty consistently setting aside and saving. And so the idea is that you start with that capital and you allocate towards your foundational uh, layer, that foundational portion of that build out. And so what we want is something that's stable, right? We want something that's dependable. We want it to be um, consistent. We want it to withstand the test of time. We want to absolutely minimize risk. We want to maximize control. And so for me, again, kind of going back to my own journey, I, as I was, you know, interacting with this friend of mine who was, you know, a few years down the line for me in terms of, you know, how far along he was, I was thinking to myself, well, where can you find those types of qualities? Um, and as much as it kind of pains me to say it sometimes, just because this, uh, this, uh, you know, type of financial tool sometimes gets a bad rap, it's an insurance policy, Right. It, 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 you know, if you're looking for something that offers guarantees, if you're looking for something that's, that can be insulated from the market, if you look at, you're looking for something that offers protection that you have access to and so on, the best way to find that is within a very specifically designed and a very specifically constructed type of insurance policy, one that, that actually builds equity. And so what happens is as we, as we work with clients to kind of 
create that foundational uh, tool, they have the ability to set aside and to save into that policy. And that savings builds equity. It builds what's known as cash value, right? Where it systematically goes in, it earns guaranteed returns, it's insulated from the, the ebbs and flows and ups and downs of the market. And then more importantly, it offers, and this is, this is really, I think, the element that absolutely makes it completely different from anything else and is probably why it, it fits so well in this foundational layer. And that's the ability to leverage. So uh, there are really very few tools out there that actually give you true leverage ability, right? So in other words, if you're saving, let's say it's $50,000 a year into this policy, that 50,000 is accumulating, it's earning a return. But as that 50,000 is continuing to build, there's a loan provision within that insurance policy that gives you as the policyholder, again, you don't have to ask anybody's permission. You're not asking for me to do it for you. This is you in the driver's seat exercising your ability to leverage that capital and you can use it in any number of different ways. So the next layer, right? So you've got your foundational layer built out. Well, the next layer for most people is again, something where they have some control, something where maybe now you're expanding your uh, return potential. Um, for some people, a lot of our clients are real estate investors um, or they're business owners. That's kind of the sweet spot for that second layer. Uh, for me, I immediately got into real estate. Again, having read Kiyosaki and wanting to create a situation where I was accumulating assets that cash flow, um, I started. I, you know, I started that foundational uh, layer. Right, I started my first policy. I'm setting aside. I'm saving. It's building. It's accumulating, and as it's doing that, I begin to leverage that accumulating cash value. Where I bought my first rental property within about two weeks of funding my policy initially, right? So acquiring that first piece of property creates my first stream of passive income, right? And I take that passive income and I funnel it back down into that foundational layer, right? Towards that policy loan that I took to acquire the property. Well, you just simply rinse and repeat uh, as the, you know, as your pool of capital, I call it opportunity fund, as that opportunity fund continues to increase, well, so does your ability to, to leverage it, to utilize it, and to you know, get it out and working for you in, in, in multiple ways. So for me, fast forward now, uh, six, well, almost, I guess, eight years since I've uh, started to implement this, this uh, approach, um, I'm up to 20 properties, so 18 single family homes and two commercial buildings. So that's my second layer where... Again, I'm all about, you know, it's almost a race against time where I'm all about trying to create as much passive income as quickly as I possibly can. And, and that real estate portfolio is sitting on top of that foundational layer. Every property that I own, I've used, I've leveraged that accumulating capital in my, in my policies to acquire them. And for others, you know, business owners, same thing, right? If you think of uh, in my opinion, the biggest issue, the biggest flaw with something like a 401k, for example, is opportunity cost, right? That's the, that, that is literally, this is the thought process that I went through where it was like, okay, if I take a dollar and I put it into my 401k, um, man, that dollar is absolutely held hostage 
for what, 25, 30 years, depending on, uh, on how old I am when I, when I contribute the dollar. Well, think about what I could have done with that dollar over the course of that 25 or 30 year time period, right? My return and my 401k in order to overcome the opportunity cost that I incur by putting, it, putting that dollar there, it has to be absolutely gigantic, right? Not to mention, you know, our expo, if it's, you know, if it's tax deferred, which most 401ks are, and you're deferring tax to an unknown future tax rate, right? What if, what if future tax rates are significantly higher 20 years from now than they are today? Well, man, that buying power of that 401k, not only did you incur massive opportunity costs, but you eroded its future purchasing power because of your exposure to those future tax rates. And so for me, it was all about, I want control of that dollar now. I want access to that dollar now. I want to put it somewhere where it's going to be safe, where it's going to earn a reasonable return. I'm not trying to hit the home run in, in my foundational layer. I just want it to be safe, protected, and give me the ability to do multiple things with it. And if I, just as I analyze that for myself, if I've got those qualities and I can turn that dollar over again and again and again over that same 20 to 30 year time period, I'm going to be infinitely more successful with that dollar than if I just plug it into something like a 401k and kind of cross my fingers and hope the market uh, delivers. So that, that really in, you know, kind of a, a, a sprint uh, over the last couple of minutes as I've walked through it, that's probably the core of what we do. It's that foundational layer. Um, and I, I speak to that mostly in terms of, you know, understanding uh, your audience, primarily business owners, probably on the, you know, younger end of the spectrum, you know, sometimes people will come to us and they're getting a little bit closer to retirement. Obviously, the approach changes for them. But you and me and probably the vast majority of, of the listeners on the podcast are pretty firmly in uh, the stage of life that we refer to as growth. So if, if you're in this growth stage of life, man, the name of the game is saving and set, setting aside and utilizing as efficiently as, and as effectively as possible everything that you're, that you're saving. So that, that's the focus. That's, that's, uh, that's really the core of what we do for clients in, in this stage of life. Hmm. I wanted to uh, jump into two things. So the first one is just uh, having you repeat something because the, the actually the, the audio cut out. It, it, it sounded like we censored something, but we didn't. Um, it was when you said, I have X amount of properties. Um, we did, I didn't actually hear how many properties you have currently. And then once you just repeat that, um, because I think that's, I, I, I know the number, but I think it's exciting for other people to hear. Um, and then I wanted to actually jump in and ask you, so what's the difference between, and I know you covered it, but uh, it took me a minute to grasp this at first. So a foundational layer could be just a, a ton of cash in my bank account. Um, sure. So what's the difference between utilizing uh, you've referred to it so far as a, as this special type of insurance policy. What's the difference between utilizing this special policy versus just cash in the account? Because they're both kind of foundational layers. So what's the, what's sure. the benefit? Excellent. Yeah. So the first question, 20 is the, is the answer. So 20 properties, um, 18 single family and two commercial and, and counting. There's another couple of properties that I'll close on probably uh, by the end of this month. There's a, a couple more that, uh, that I'll bring on. 
Um, and and that that has been so much fun, uh, just the real estate side. So that that's a super. I mean, that's probably a separate podcast episode, but that's been <laughs> a, a passion of mine, as you know. Um, and then and then to answer your question about you know foundational layer, um, you know the the positive about cash is, and again I'll use you know this these last couple of weeks where we've experienced a pretty tremendous amount of volatility in the market, right? One day it's up 1200 points, the next day it's down 1200 points, right? If, if you're trying to look at something that's foundational and say, is this a, is this a solid base upon which I can build? Well, a, a solid base is not something that has the capacity to lose value, to diminish in value. That's not something that you can build on. So a positive would be, well, if you've got cash, other than maybe you know inflation, uh, it, it's not actually diminishing in value. Here's the drawback to the cash, okay? Well, actually I can think of two. The first is while your cash is sitting, it's not doing anything productive, right? It's not earning a return other than, you know, best case scenario, you can find like an online, um, you know, high yield checking or something like that where uh, you know, you might hit, you might touch 2% or something like that. But, but the, for the vast majority of people um, who have a, a checking account or, or a savings account or something like that, you're under 1%. Most are under a half a percent. And as, uh, as interest rates kind of, you know, get squeezed and as the Fed in its desperation to try to uh, continue to inflate the markets, uh, you know, kind of represses or keeps down interest rates, that's always going to make it so that your cash, if it's sitting in a bank, is not going to be very productive. It's really not going to do anything efficient at all. It's just there. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's just there if you need it. Okay. Now, drawback number two, you can't leverage the cash uh, in your bank. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you've got $100,000 sitting in your, in your bank account and you want to use 40000 of it for some purpose, well, you withdraw the 40,000 and now you have 60,000 left in your bank account, right? And then you go and do whatever you're gonna do with the 40,000, but your 60 is left behind. Now contrast that with an insurance policy. Uh, again, it has to be built, when I say insurance policy, the, the caveat is it's built properly, it's designed to emphasize the equity as opposed to the death benefit, um, et cetera, et cetera. If I have that same 100,000 and it's sitting in my policy, well, first off, if I'm not using it, it's earning a return. And most insurance companies pay nowadays anywhere between about four and 7%, right? You get interest and you get a dividend, uh, which is a function of the profitability of that insurance company. And in most cases, the insurance companies have paid dividends for 150, 175 years in a row. In other words, in terms of stability, there's really nothing more stable than that type of institution. So you're getting something that's reasonably productive even while it's just sitting idle, okay? But that this leveraging component, right? This, what is known as the loan provision, policy loan provision. Let's say I wanna, I wanna use that same 40, right? Same scenario, I've got designs on that 40 and I'm gonna use it for some purpose. Maybe if it's me, maybe I'm, I'm buying another property. Well, if I use the loan provision, and I take a policy loan against my cash value, that 40,000 isn't withdrawn from my policy. I still have $100,000 in my policy earning a return. Only I'm leveraging, I'm using my cash value in effect as collateral 
And so I'm getting access to $40,000 from the insurance company, which allows me to make that same investment. So my 100,000 continues to be productive, yet I'm able to deploy that same 40 and do with it what I would have done with it had I used cash. But the difference is positive return. In other words, uh, it's, it's doing something other than a half a percent or whatever it is. And number two, leverage. I still have my full 100,000 intact earning that return. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally does. Um, I've got a, a few different tracks to go down, but uh, the first thing I just want to echo this. So, you know, we've got a, a, a particular account um, and it's got a, a fair amount of, of money in there. And just the, I took a screenshot of this because it's so hilarious. But the other day we got like a monthly interest payment from this cash account. Um, and it was literally three cents. Um, <laughs> and as we're talking, I pulled it up just to confirm how big this was. And, um, I mean, it's not like, you know, millions in the, in this account, but it's, it's, you know, you could buy a, you know, a couple of very nice cars with it. Um, and it's, sure. it's a three cent return and it's just hilarious. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so one of the things that I wanted to actually like specifically ask you about, which is something that was really valuable to me uh, with utilizing a, this type of strategy was the fact that we are business owners and um, you know, you can, it, it's not the same as a, as a paycheck. Like I remember talking to more traditional financial planners and it was like, it was a very traditional conversation, which was, you know, how much can you essentially scrape off your check every week or every two weeks to stash, stash it away and hopefully live on that when you're, when you're done, where, you know, as you know, the, with working with a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, you can have, you know, you can have months or years that are, you know, pretty sizable. And, um, you know, sometimes it, it can, it can go up and down, of course, but you can have sizable years. And one of the drawbacks of certain IRAs and 401ks and things like that, outside of being the opportunity cost is the fact that you're kind of locked into a yeah. certain investment amount. You can't, you can't put in a, a huge sum of cash. Um, would you mind touching on that at all for people that are sitting here that are like, they're, they're pretty decent earners and they just don't know how to start this foundational thing. Uh, maybe just touching on the fact that they, that there is an option for them to like deploy some of their capital. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I, I think that as I was learning about all this stuff myself for the very first time, I think the, the image that I had in my mind that really solidified it for me was uh, th this idea that if I continued to just sort of go down the 401k route, what, what I would end up with is, you know, you get to a certain stage of life, you know, let's call it quote unquote retirement. And the idea is that I saved, you know, this pool of, I've got this pool of money, right? And then it's up to me to kind of figure out if that pool of money is adequate to replace my income, right? So that I can continue to receive income through my assets, as opposed to having to go to work and, and earn my paycheck, right? So I just kind of felt like I was just, you know, kind of contributing to this thing, and hopefully it'll be enough. And what really, I think, made the, the process or uh, the, the strategy make a lot more sense to me was this idea that if I, if I start by building the foundational layer, I can do many of the same things where it's setting aside and saving some you know, regular amount of money if I choose to. But the difference is instead of just letting that be and not 
you know, thinking about it or, or doing anything with it until, you know, the, the end comes and I'm ready to retire, I can be actively doing with it all along the way. And so for me, it was like, well, do I want, do I want my future to be, well, I've got this pool of money or do I want my future to be, I've got this pool of money and because I used it all along the way, I've got all these other assets too that are generating, you know, streams of income and, and so on. So I felt like, man, there's this whole other realm, this whole other dimension that's possible because of that leverage component where it's going to accumulate, it's going to build over the course of time anyway. But if we're actively using it and deploying it, we can be, you know, multiplying our returns uh, in effect by acquiring other types of assets. Okay, so that, that's maybe just sort of point number one. Point number two would be, uh, the way that I think of, of the policy of this, you know, again, this foundational layer is I think of it like a bucket, right? It's, it's a, you know, you go to Home Depot or something. I don't know why this image comes to mind, but it's, you know, one of those orange Home Depot buckets. It seems like everybody has one in their garage. Uh, so orange Home Depot bucket, right? Where most of those are five gallon, I think, right? Buckets where it, you can hold a maximum of a certain amount. Um, and then you can also, there, there's generally a minimum, right? So you've got this range of, you know, how, how much you choose to put into that bucket up to that five gallons before the water, you know, spills all over the floor. The, the, the way that the policy works is similar to that. The way that we build it is there's always going to be a maximum and there's always going to be a minimum. And really, whatever the maximum and minimum is, whatever the size and capacity of that bucket is, that's really up to the individual. So if you look at somebody who's a high income earner, well, they're going to have a bigger bucket than somebody who's not a high income earner. So in other words, you think about some of the limitations that exist with, let's say, 401k contributions or IRA contributions. Those are always capped. You can, always, you can pay in a certain amount, but for somebody who's a high income earner, it may be a tiny fraction of what they're actually able to save. Whereas with the policy, you can design and build that bucket to hold however, you know, whatever amount of money uh, fits or works well for that particular individual and their circumstances. And then just to your point about, well, what if income varies, you know, from year to year? Well, again, you've got a maximum, but you've also got a, a minimum. So we want to design and build the policy so that its capacity fits well, um, so that it's big enough that, you know, when the income is, is solid, that capacity is there. But maybe if there's a, a decrease in income the next year, well, there's enough flexibility in terms of how you, we're funding it, you contribute something less than, than the maximum. So there's, there's a lot of flexibility in terms of how you build them out. And they're not subject to the same types of income restrictions or uh, you know, caps and that sort of thing like uh, government-sponsored uh, savings accounts are, like IRAs and, mm. and 401ks and so on. Hmm. What's the... Um, something that... Uh... I think is really potentially important for some people to, to know, but I'm also super interested, or I was very interested in this is, and if you don't want to go over the differences because of like lack of time, that's totally fine. Um, but at this point, you've told us it's basically a specially designed life insurance policy that favors equity more than death benefit. Um, what's to stop someone from just going to their local agency and saying, Hey, John, can you uh, just, you know, set this up for me? Um, like what's, is, is there any risk there? Can someone just go to like, you know, Joe Schmo down the street and get it done? 
or is there a little bit more finesse involved? Yeah, good, really, really good question. Um, uh, so maybe I'll start by answering uh, in, in this way. Um, I, if, if I think about my client base, uh, all of the clients that I have, you know, all over the country, I probably have at least a dozen who are active insurance agents. In other words, in terms of, you know, whether this is common knowledge um, and how, you know, how sophisticated must you be in order to, you know, have the expertise to build a policy in this way, surprisingly, um, it, it actually takes some, some know-how. Uh, no, number one, uh, not every insurance company uh, uh, permits a policy to be built this way. And, and maybe the analogy that I'll use is, is this one. Um, you know, you think about, let's say, two cars that come off the assembly line, right, where they've got four wheels, um, they both have an engine, you know, steering wheel, you can get from A to B, right? But if you took one of those cars to, let's say, a mechanic who actually knows, you know, what he or she is doing, and they have the ability to lift up the hood and make some mechanical adjustments to the engine, or maybe the exhaust system, or whatever the case might be, what's possible from a, a, let's say, an aftermarket perspective in terms of port performance, horsepower, et cetera, you, know, you may have had the two, two cars rolling off exactly the same assembly line, but it, there's some things that you can do mechanically that will make you know, car number two drastically outperform car number one. It's exactly the same in this world. So there's a few critical writers that you have to add to the policy. In other words, the, the old fashioned plain vanilla way to go about it is death benefit first and a very, very distant second, the equity position, right? So being able to take the policy and flip it on its head requires some expertise. In other words, there's a couple of key writers that you have to add and you have to blend properly in order to get that, uh, that, that end result. Okay, that's kind of number, number one. So I would say, if you just go to the average person down the street, again, not disparaging uh, other people or saying that I'm better or smarter than anybody else, but this is all we do all day, every day. Um, and so the average person, this is not their wheelhouse. Uh, point number two would be, and this is probably the more compelling of the two, I would say, um, when it comes to how somebody in the insurance world gets paid, they get paid on the portion, so as you're, let's say you're, you have an insurance policy and you're funding it, right? There's, there is gonna be a portion of what's going into that policy that is going towards the death benefit, right? Where if this policy is designed death benefit first, what the insurance, the, the, the individual who builds the policy uh, gets paid will be higher, right? Everything that's going into that policy really generates the compensation for the individual who built the policy. Where here, what we're doing is purposefully limiting, reducing as much as we possibly can the amount that goes to the death benefit. And, in, and all of the remainder is getting crammed into that policy as, as cash, right, as equity. So we're purposefully building a policy that pays us drastically less than if you built the policy the old fashioned way. So in other words, when, when I build a policy for someone, my compensation on the policy is probably 25% of what it would be if I was you know, the, the average insurance person who's just building this policy for you know, somebody who walked into the, into the door. So you're asking that person 
to purposefully take significantly less in choosing to build the policy for you. So for somebody who does not interact with all that many people, if they, you know, let's say they take on two or three new clients a month, you can't afford to take 75% less for each of those clients. So part of the reason why it works for us is we tend to deal with uh, individuals that are, I would say, on the higher range of, of the income spectrum, which means that we're building bigger policies so they work. And then number two is we're working with so many people across such a, a wide swath of, uh, of uh, just the general population that the volume uh, makes up for the reduction in compensation. So I, I would, again, this is not me saying that I'm better or smarter, but that would be a, a significant caution uh, that I would issue uh, because for the, for the most part, the types of mechanical adjustments that you make to the policy have to be done when it's underwritten and when it's issued. If you have a policy and you go on down the line and discover that it wasn't built properly, it's too late. You either have to, you know, trade it in for a new one, hopefully, um, or you have to kind of start over, but that's it. That's a big risk to take. Mm. Yeah, that completely makes sense. Your, your analogy about cars. Um, I'm not sure if, if you, if you knew this, but I'm, used to be a mechanic. So that really resonated. Oh, I didn't know. I know you're a car guy. I love you. I know that you like cars that go fast, but, uh, but I didn't know that you were a mechanic. <laughs> yeah. So you said it's saying, I'm like, this is great, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you're, 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 uh, you're entirely right. Like if you, if you made a, if you made a, an adjustment early on to a car and, uh, you know, you're hoping it would go faster, but in fact, it was the incorrect adjustment. Uh, like the only options is that, well, this thing is either going to explode or I have to replace the whole thing. Um, so yeah, I feel like it it resonates or it it transfers pretty well. Um, well, I'm really excited about your, so I, I think most people listening to this are, you know, like it, it sounds, uh, exciting because it's like, okay, maybe there's another option for besides like a 401k. Cause I know a lot of, yeah. you know, entrepreneurial friends of mine, you know, most of them, while they're extremely creative in business, they're extremely uh, traditional in their kind of investment thinking. And so many of them are literally doing 401ks or IRAs or they're like day trading, which is obviously not investing really. Um, but some of them are very interested in real estate and this being a nice base to draw from for those investments, I think is, is pretty exciting to a lot of people. Um, I know we could probably talk for probably th- three hours straight on <laughs> real estate by itself, but um, I would love if, um, you know, if maybe you, if you kind of dove into that just world just a little bit, like what could someone do with this, uh, with this policy? It's it, from everything that I understand from you, they can basically do whatever they want with their yeah. policy loans. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, maybe you could take us down what you've done with your, your 20 different, you know, doors that you rent. Um, and then just kind of, you know, some different imagination things that we could do. Perfect. Yeah. Well, and, and just your comment about three hours, uh, you probably realized by now and anyone who's listening, I, I could probably take three hours with, with just about anything. Uh, I never, it's rare that I have a shortage of, of things to say. Um, but yeah, real estate uh, is obviously that's a that's a passion of mine but the beauty and you said it the beauty of the policy is you can do anything you want with it so when and maybe I'll start by kind of explaining you know when you take a policy loan what it, what does that mean you know what what it, what what happens 
right? Because most of us are probably accustomed to, you know, you, let's say you, you, you buy a car or, you know, a house or something like that. So you've got a car loan or a mortgage or, or whatever. Well, obviously, and me uh, coming from the, the legal world, uh, most of my clients as I was practicing were banks and credit unions. So I was on that consumer finance side, right? So as there's all the fine print when they're, you know, the truth in lending disclosures and all of that, that was my world, right? Well, the whole point behind all of those, you know, all the fine print and the, and the truth in lending disclosures and so on was designed to protect the financial institution in case you default, right? So that's why it's so strict and it's so specific that, well, you know, what's the collateral? The collateral is secured by the loan and what's your minimum monthly payment and how long does that term last and, and so on and so on. Um, you know, that's, that's what we're accustomed to when we think about a loan. With a policy loan, there is no security, right? There is no collateral, right? So if I take a policy loan and I buy a, a piece of real estate, this, the insurance company does not take a security interest in the property that I bought. Their security is limited to my cash value in my policy. That's it. There's no, there's no other collateral. Um, they don't ask me what I'm going to use the, the, the policy loan for. Um, they don't ask me how soon I'm going to pay it back. All of that is completely open-ended. I can pay it back as fast or as slow as I care to. Um, and I can buy a piece of real estate. Um, maybe it's you know, income producing, cash flowing, or maybe it's a flip. I, I have plenty of clients who are real estate investors who use their cash value as, you know, maybe it's the, it's the pool of capital for their acquisition. Um, or maybe they use different source of capital for the acquisition, but they use the, the policy for construction costs. Uh, and get it rehabbed and, and listed and all of that, right? So really, it is absolutely infinite, uh, the number of different ways that you can use it. It doesn't matter because there is no securitization of the, of the capital and there is no you know, truth in lending disclosures where you're you know, subjected to a specific timeline and minimum payments and, and that sort of thing. None of that exists. It's completely open-ended and absolutely up to the individual. So now for me... Um, uh, my wife, if you were to ask her if I'm handy or not, she would. She probably wouldn't even respond. She'd just laugh. Um, I've literally messed up uh, furniture that we bought from IKEA, uh, and and you know anybody who's ever bought anything from IKEA, you know how easy it is to build, right? You got like one tool, and like ten pieces. Somehow I screwed it up. Anyway, so rehabbing, you know, flipping, man, that is not my wheelhouse. Uh, I, if and if I don't know how to do it. I, I get a little leery just trusting somebody else to do it for me, right? So if I don't know how to swing a hammer and if I don't know how to, you know, hang drywall or whatever it is, I get a little nervous feeling like, man, am I going to be able to be quality control on this project if I don't even know what the heck quality looks like, right? So for that reason, I've just never gotten into the flipping world. But I, again, plenty of clients who have tons of experience in the, in the construction world and they're either, you know, hands-on doing it themselves or they're just part of a team or whatever it is, completely open-ended. So my uh, focus has been uh, more of the buy and hold, right? Where I've been a renter uh, lots of times, right, in my life. And so I feel like I have some pretty good experience in that world. And so that was a familiar world uh, for me to be in is buying something that is, you know, you know, uh, acquisition cost relative to the rent that I could turn around and charge somebody for it, right? That cash on cash return, that was something that just made sense to me. Um, 
and for me, again, sometimes I have clients who, who are in that same world and they prefer to be uh, the property manager. I, I, again, I have no interest in that. I don't want, I don't want anybody's, I don't want calls in the night when, you know, somebody's toilet's clogged or, uh, you know, the air conditioner goes out and it's the middle of summer or whatever it is. I don't want to have to deal with any of that stuff. Um, and so I've got a property manager who manages all of uh, the properties that I own. Um, and the cost of property management is already factored into the target return that I'm looking for. And so for me, I just, I kind of sketched out the metrics that I'm looking for. And if I come across a deal that checks all the boxes, boom, let's do it. If I come across a deal that checks all but one, I don't, I pass on it, right? Because I think we're a lot of times, you know, especially people who are uh, drawn to real estate, where you kind of get, get yourself in a situation where you just don't have a good result is you're sitting on this cash. You go back to that example that you used about your cash in a bank. You're sitting on this cash and you just sort of feel it burning a hole in your pocket, right? Because you're not, you get that, that statement showing that you earned three cents and you're like, what the heck is this doing here? You know, it's not doing anything productive for me. So I may as well get it out and get it moving. And maybe you, you, you know, you kind of concede one of those boxes or two that just didn't get checked and you find yourself maybe in a spot where it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit frustrating. So for me, I've got a system, I've got boxes that I insist be checked. And if they're checked, great. If they're not, I move on to the next one because I don't feel my cash value burning a, a hole in my pocket because if it's, if it's out and working for me, awesome. That's obviously the ideal. If it's not, that's okay too, because it's sitting there and it's productive. So that, that's kind of my, I don't know if I addressed your, your question uh, completely, but that, that's, uh, that's been my wheelhouse. And it's, it's honestly, it's just been sort of rinse and repeat. And I'll probably get to the point where uh, I'll have as many you know, doors or as many properties as I, as I care to have. So, so the way that I just sort of view where I'm at right now is, I mean, it's a little bit like playing the game of, of Monopoly, right? Where you start out and, and you've got some green houses but in order to really, you know, make an impact and, and, you know, win the game, so to speak, you eventually you scale up to red hotels. And so I feel like I'm at the, the, the kind of the stage in my life now where I've got, you know, a decent number of those little green houses. But now I'm looking, I, I would say next layer up, maybe third layer up, which would be, you know, syndication. So apartment complex, a hotel, you know, a, a vacation development or, or something like that, where it's not my house that I own that I can, you know, drive across town and look at or, you know, fly to, you know, the city in which it's located and, and look at it and know that that's mine and I can do with it whatever I choose. I'm one of, you know, a hundred or more investors and it's more so a, you know, a capital thing. Um, obviously, the potential for upside is, is bigger, I think, in that world, a little bit more risk, but that's sort of the equivalent of maybe trading up to a, a red hotel. So that's kind of what's next. Uh, on the docket for me, you know, over the next few years is probably exploring more of the red hotel sort of deals, uh, probably getting pretty soon to the point where I feel like I've got enough of the little greenhouses. Um, but anyway, that's, that's, mm -hmm. man, again, I could talk forever about the, the real estate side of things, but that's a, it's exciting. I love it. Yeah, totally. Um, I think we should do another episode about it specifically. Um, but for now, would you mind sharing, you said you have uh, some specific <clears throat> boxes that you like to have checked. And I think there's a few people that probably would want that, uh, want a little bit of uh, wood on that fire just <laughs> out of, uh, out of interest. Um, would you mind sharing your, your boxes? Yeah, no, yeah, no problem. So the, the first is, 
I mean, the, obviously the, the reason why you deploy the capital is for the return, right? In other words, if the return is not going to be there, um, th that's the biggest reason to pass on a, on a deal, right? So that pro probably the first thing I'm looking for is I don't look at anything that is less than a 10% cash on cash return. That's the absolute minimum uh, that I'm willing to accept. And, and even that's even been a, a bit of a compromise over the past few years. I mean, we're, you know, in most cases uh, across the United States, home values are up, right? Acquisition costs are up and rents haven't kept pace uh, generally with the increase in, uh, in acquisition or in home values. And so 10% double digits is the absolute minimum. And the key there though is, and this is where I think a lot of people maybe get it a little bit wrong is, they assume that that's, um, you know, that, that, that's just straight rent. But, but when I'm saying 10% cash on cash, what cash on cash refers to is, I want the, the, the income side, the cash flow, that cash flow, I want to be at least 10% of my out-of-pocket acquisition cost. And if it's anything less than that, I move on to the next one, right? So in other words, part of that box, and maybe inside there are some sub boxes, but it's accurately pricing uh, the property, meaning the acquisition, factoring in um, you know, uh, the uh, uh, property management, those types of things, vacancy. I factor all of that in um, and I make sure that everything that's left over, over and above any of those costs or, or those reserves that I, that I create, it's got to be 10% or that box does not get checked. Um, I would say the second thing is um, I view cash flow as being, and again, this is, there's a lot of different ways to invest in real estate, but I view cash flow as being king, right? I, I want the income stream. I want, I want that property paying me. And another area where I think a lot of people, again, maybe get it wrong is they invest in real estate for appreciation, which again, going back to the, you know, to the flipper, I mean, that's the name of the game is you're buying something that's, you know, basically looks like a junk heap and you're, you know, you're renovating it to cause it to appreciate more quickly and turn around and sell it and, and get your money back plus a return. Well, that, that's, I, I don't know. It, it just seems like you have to repeat that process so often, right? Whereas if, if I'm buying a property that's going to generate a stream of income for me, that thing is never going to stop generating the stream of income. And again, I'm going to price in vacancy because it may turn over, you know, every couple of years or something like that. Again, if you're doing it right, or you may have to freshen up some paint or carpet or something like that. But at the end of the day, um, I want that thing to generate income for me. Um, and so that I would say that's another box where it's income ahead of appreciation. Appreciation's okay. It's not that I don't want appreciation. It's just that for me, the income is king. I'm all about that, that passive income and building up that, that cash flow. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think of, so I, I've actually got a, a spreadsheet that I, that I use that, uh, that I kind of plug in uh, just some metrics. You know, if I'm looking at a property that kind of uh, tells me where it sits uh, uh, in different ways, but one maybe good rule of thumb is uh, something known as the 1% the rule which is you're pretty, pretty good and easy because sometimes you don't have time to do a ton of evaluation and you want to just you know, look at something and within 10 seconds know if it's something that you want to dig deeper into. And, and that is you know, my sort of quick immediate judgment is uh, what I refer to as the 1% rule, which is, um, is the rent 
the proposed rent at least 1% of the purchase price, right? So uh, in other words, if it's a $100,000 piece of property, it needs to rent for at least a thousand bucks a month, right? Um, which again, in many parts of the country, that's tough to do because uh, you know, home values have just gone up, you know, in, in, especially in uh, you know, where I live here. I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. I don't I own two commercial buildings here, but I don't own a single residential property just because the acquisition cost is too high. You cannot hit that one percent rule. So anyway, those are probably just a few little nuggets that uh, that I look for uh, just right off the bat. That's very helpful. When you're talking about cash on cash return. Um, so if you're looking for, let's say, 10 percent, does that mean because uh, this is something that I messed up for a long time? Um, does that mean 10% a year or 10% a month? Uh, so usually it's, it's 10%, a, it's an annualized 10% uh, cash on cash return. Um, so not per month. Yeah, I, rem I remember the first time I ever heard that when I was just super, super green in the, uh, just learning about real estate stuff, I heard the 10% cash on cash general framework and I was like, I couldn't find anything. I was like, <laughs> my gosh. Um, but uh, that's because I was looking at it completely backwards. The one last thing that I was interested in, um, just, and you really talked about it the entire, the entire time. Right. Um, it's just, I kind of want to put the, put the bow on it is the concept that I think you've used the term, the hierarchy of wealth. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that would kind of like take everything that we've learned and put it into like a really nice package. Um, would you mind just kind of, going over that? Absolutely. Yeah. That, that, so I, I go kind of full, come full circle. If you go back to, if I go back to that conversation that I had uh, with my mother-in-law and, and my wife, that's really where I would say that concept uh, kind of crystallized in my mind. I, I was kind of sketching it out for, for the two of them that I think most people, when it comes to their finances, they kind of take this buffet style approach, right? Where you walk through one of those, you know, dingy buffets and there, you know, there's this just array of different, you know, different things that you can scoop up and put on your plate. And you really don't give much thought to, uh, you know, what you're going to put. You just, you're just looking at what's in front of you and you take a scoop and you plop it on your plate, right? And then you move on and maybe you take a scoop of something else, but you're really not giving a lot of thought to, uh, you know, the different elements and how well they're interacting with each other. You just kind of take some scoops as you go. That's how most people operate from a financial standpoint. And for me, I felt like, no, it's more, it, it's, it, it's more uh, sort of layered than that, right? Where it's not about taking random scoops of stuff, right? Where maybe you take a scoop of, uh, you know, uh, mutual funds, or you take a scoop of dividend paying stocks, or you take a scoop of your 401k or whatever it is, that's kind of how people operate. But for me, that never, that never sat very well. I, I didn't like that. For me, it was about, I, I'm building something that, uh, you know, there's a starting point and then you move to the next point and the next point and the next point. So for me, it kind of became this, uh, again, hierarchy of wealth. I think of like this pyramid structure where you've got, you have to start with the, the that, you know, that first layer of uh, foundation. And for me, that's what we've talked about all along. That's the policy. Again, it's, I think of the qualities that a foundation should possess. And again, that's the idea. 
but then you're building on top of that, right? And, and then the next layer is, and I always think in terms of risk and control, foundational layer should be zero risk, absolute control. Second layer, maybe now I'm giving up a little bit of control and I'm taking on a little bit of risk relative to that base layer, but now my potential for return goes up, right? So that's where the real estate comes in or for somebody who owns a business, that's where your business comes in. You've got control over what you're doing with your business more than anybody else has control over what you're doing with your business. You're not conceding control to anybody else, right? And so then, you know, as you're building out that, that layer, um, now you've got foundational layer and the next layer, and those are now both working for you. Well, then maybe pretty soon it makes sense to start to kind of expand into a third layer. And that for me is where you get, again, give up a little bit of control, take on a little bit more risk, and again, take on the potential for a little bit greater return. But just like a pyramid, right, it's getting narrower as you, as you make your way towards the top. Your lightest, biggest, heaviest uh, you know, section or layer is the foundational layer because that's the one that everything else sits on top of. Um, and then the next one is a little bit smaller and then a little bit smaller. And the idea is that each layer that you choose to add, right? It's not like there's one size fits all to each their own. Everyone's hierarchy is gonna be a little bit different, but um, as you make your way up those successive layers, they get a little bit smaller and they maybe, you know, they take on a little bit more risk, give up a little bit more control, but maybe the, you know, the, the, the potential return in exchange for the giving up of control and taking on risk is a little bit higher. But the idea is that if you're at the very tip top layer, and, and for me, I call the very, the point of my pyramid, um, I, I call, uh, I, I refer to as chaos, right? Which is, man, who knows, right? Who knows what, how this is going to shake out? Um, and I use, for example, uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, or even, uh, you know, some, I'm not saying I've kind of disparaged the stock market a little bit. No, I, I think there's, there can be a place for it. And I just, it's just not the foundational layer of your structure because it's not reliable enough. It's value uh, ebbs and flows too dramatically. Um, but, you know, crypto, the market, that sort of thing. And the idea is that if you've got that, you know, you've got that layer that's up at the top, if the worst happened, and let's say, you know, you bought into some new crypto that just, you know, just went to market and then it absolutely collapsed and it doesn't exist anymore. Well, the fact that you completely crashed and burned on that top point, you know, that top layer, that doesn't change the fact that you still have three layers below it that are solid and performing, right? That's the idea is that you're, you're taking risk. And you're kind of segregating it up towards the narrower part of your structure so that if the risk, you know, if that risky element, uh, you know, comes to pass and you swing and miss on that investment, you haven't completely crippled yourself. That's not your foundation. The foundation and those, you know, those foundational layers below it remain intact. And so that for me is, is the image that I have in my mind in terms of, okay, when is it time to start to shift into this. So yeah, I was mentioning a second ago about the green houses and transitioning up to the red hotel. I feel like my second layer is pretty robust, right? It's built out about as, just about as much as I, you know, I think that it, it should before now I'm ready to start to really get serious about that third layer. But if I swing and miss in the third layer, that doesn't change the fact that I've got the second layer and I've got the stable foundation. That's the idea. 
That makes so much sense. I remember the first time I really were learned that we're going to with you. Um, and I was just like, wow, I think the realization that I was thinking about was like, you know, if I were to try to place, and I think, uh, you, you placed this for me, um, or maybe I did, I'm not, not entirely sure on my memory, but uh, like a 401k, for instance, or an IRA or something like that, you know, that really is like up in like the, what I would consider, I guess, the third layer, you know, little control and, you know, you kind of, you don't really have any control over the risk either. Um, I don't know if yeah, you agree with that, but absolutely. Uh, but yeah, when I, yeah. when I looked at that, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, like you, you're right. You know, there's very little control here and, uh, you know, there's, you're basically at the whim of, of the market. Like we're recording this this week, you know, there's the whole Corona thing going on and that's, that's yep. shacking things all over the place. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. N- neither of us has any clue when we wake up in the morning, what the market is, you know, will do that day. Right. I mean, you can get an indicator as to what it's doing in Europe or Asia. And that kind of you know gives you an idea of what, what tomorrow might look like, but we have no control over it. You know, you just, people wake up in the morning and it is what it is and their account values or whatever they end up being as a result of that, that volatility. But from one day to the next, I can wake up and I know down to the penny how much money I have in my policy. That's the difference, right? It's not that it's bad to have uncertainty and volatility and that sort of thing. That's just not the foundational layer. Yeah, completely. Well, I think number one, um, we should definitely schedule something for uh, the real estate junkies. And um, sure, you know, I think that'd be a lot of fun. And and selfishly, I'd love to. I'd love to, you know, go through that as well. Um, but you know, I imagine at this point, I mean, I, I remember the first time I kind of really, you know, stumbled on anything, um, you know, regarding you and and just this the strategy. And I was just floored, like this is the best thing in the entire world. And I wanted to devour as much as I possibly could. So I know that you've got a, um, I believe it's an ebook that people can, can download and really kind of, you know, wet their whistle a little bit, dive into some more information. Um, Would you mind letting us know like how to, how to get that? Maybe like if they just want to start their education process where they can go. And then maybe for those that are kind of like me and they're like, dude, I want to like, I want to go as fast as possible. This is amazing. Um, if you could just let us know how, how they could do that, that'd be awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we, we came out with a book about two years ago um, and it's, it's an actual in print book. Uh, it's called heads. I win tells you lose. And that's a, I would say that's a fantastic resource to kind of get a, a soup to nuts, you know, overview of a lot of the stuff that I've kind of touched on here Hierarchy of Wealth actually makes an appearance in that book as well. Um, and so what I can do, it, you can find it on Amazon. You know, if you, if you prefer the, you know, the print copy, I'm still kind of old school where um, I still actually prefer to read a book as opposed to uh, an ebook. Um, so you can find it there if, uh, if you want to go to Amazon. Um, but I'll send you a link that gives people the ability to download a free uh, electronic copy of it. So it downloads it. Uh, I think it's just a PDF. So if you use an e-reader or something like that, or you just want to kind of dig into it a little bit to kind of get a feel for it before you you decide to to dig deeper, um, I'll I'll send you the link and you can maybe embed it in the show notes and people can go there and, and download that for free. The other thing that I can do is we've got it in audio format. So if I, I, li- I listen to a ton of audio books, um, I can send that to you as well. Um, and then uh, And then from there, uh, our website is paradigmlife.net. 
Um, and we've got a ton of content in terms of videos and webinars and, and other things that we've done in the past. Um, we put on an annual uh, symposium, a virtual symposium that we call the Cashflow Wealth Summit, where it's essentially topics and speakers and presenters, and it's all things cash flow. Um, and so we've got you know resources where you can go back and, and dig through uh, content from previous cash flow wealth summits. Um, so what I'll do, maybe Zach, is I'll, I'll send you um, some contact information that you can put in the show notes, and and then that way you know according to their you know interest level or desire or you know want, wanting to learn and be exposed to as many you know as many different sources of information as possible. People can dig in uh, as much as they care to, whether it's the book or videos and, and uh, you know, that sort of content, uh, uh, we'll make all of that stuff available to them. Awesome. And just to kind of, uh, you know, let, let you guys know, um, so this is something that like I, I've been really excited to have Will on and this is something that I'm very, very pumped about. We talk about this, this topic um, probably not as much as I'd like to, but uh, more frequently than 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 probably most and this is something everything that will's talked about like i completely stand behind it back it up like will is the he's the guy that set up our first policies and he'll be the guy that sets up subsequent ones and um like i got the i got the book and i read the book and i read the whole thing in like two days um so it's absolutely awesome um everything that we've talked about today for me has been super super impactful because like I literally remember a you know, little over a year ago, I was talking to a more kind of traditional based uh, financial planner. And I was like trying to explain to this guy, I'm like, dude, no, like you don't understand. Like I own a business, like, like, and, and, and me putting money into this random account that I have zero control over and just like hoping to God someday it doesn't crash and burn. <laughs> like, that's not what I want to do. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you just put this much amount every month, like you'll have this nest egg at the end. I was like, Oh my Oh my Lord, I, <laughs> I couldn't even take it. And, um, you know, like Will and, 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 you know, the guys and gals at Paradigm Life, like they, like Will resonates with me. Cause like, I was like, I want to do the real estate thing. That's the way, that's what I believe is the right move, but I also want a solid base. And I'm a big believer in, you know, we talk about this here too, like, don't listen to people that don't have what you want. And so, yeah. you know, like, my finance, that, uh, that original financial advisor, I wanted to buy real estate and he owned a grand total of zero pieces of real estate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so anyway, for those of you that were wondering what my stance is on this, I don't think you were, but if you were, um, I would say this is a awesome thing to at least learn about. Um, you know, it's worth getting the book. It's worth reading. Um, it's worth going through it. And then, you know, um, if you're hot to trot, like, like I was, um, it's, it's worth talking to Will. He's every bit as smart as, as he comes across and uh, super, super helpful. So appreciate that. Thanks, man. Yeah, totally. Well, is there any, um, final words of wisdom or anything else that you'd like to leave with the, with the listeners? I, I don't think so. Just, uh, you know, just kind of the idea that, and I didn't say this before, but just, yeah, no pressure. You know, if, even if you've just got general questions, I'm not a high pressure guy. I, I love the, I would say I'm the nerd, right? I love the academic side more than anything. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, that's okay. We can have a, you know, a high level conversation. So if you're curious and you just have some questions and you want to talk some more, absolutely reach out. Um, I'd love to have, you know, conversation with anyone. 
and uh, and yeah, no no pressure at all. Um, other than that, yeah, appreciate the opportunity to be on and, and talk about this stuff. I man, I love it. It's uh, best decision I ever made uh, was to leave. Um, you know, practicing law. It's kind of funny. You you practice law, and it seems like you know, I joke about this sometimes that no matter what, I mean, you could win. And still somebody's mad at you, right? You either, you know, the person who lost on the other side, they're mad, or maybe the client's mad because it costs too much to obtain the victory. I, I always kind of struggled with that because I'm a relationships guy and I love being in this role here because it's absolutely win-win. And uh, if it's a fit, great. Uh, there's nothing better. Doesn't fit everyone, but when it does, it's, it's pretty incredible and, and it's super fun to be a part of. So anyway, appreciate it, man. Yeah, of course, man. That's, that's awesome. And um, I don't think we mentioned it. I will drop it in the show notes as well. So I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes for the book um, and for the site. But just for those people that are super audible people, um, what's your contact info? How can people contact you directly if they wanted to? Uh, so my e- maybe email address might be the, the quickest and easiest. Um, I get email anywhere, anytime. Uh, my email address is wstreet. So my last name is S-T-R-E-E-T. So W Street at paradigmlife.net. So P-A-R-A-D-I-G-M life.net, paradigmlife.net. Awesome. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks so much for having uh, or taking the time out to do this. This was fantastic. I'm uh, super, super pumped about it. And uh, hopefully we can do something uh, again soon with the real estate stuff, man. Absolutely. I'd love that. Yeah. Let, let me know when works and I'll, I'll be happy to come back anytime. All right. Appreciate it, man. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Hope you have an amazing day and we'll see you all in the next episode. Thank mm-hmm. you.